Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 6th of January 2012. For newcomers, you should help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find hundreds and hundreds of audios for a free download. And hopefully, by the end of, the end of it all, you'll understand the system that runs the world. you realize there's no, there's no such thing as democracy. In fact, there's no such thing as countries anymore, really. And how, really, um, this massive system was put into place a long, long, long time ago, uh, before we were born, and uh, planned a not even a longer time ago than that. And step-by-step, step, uh, uh, select organizations that work together formed the one organization that runs the world today. A planned society is what they're bringing in, a planned world, and we happen to be living in the worst part of it. This is when you make the omelets and you smash the eggs. And we won't see the omelette, actually. We'll see the smashed eggs. And we are the smashed eggs. So anyway, uh, that's where they are today with this, as they go through the world rampaging war after war to end up with their wonderful utopia, they hope, for about 2050, 2060, with a reduced population. And, of course, with genetic engineering, uh, a brand-new slave population that will be more efficient, won't need entertainment, won't cause them any trouble, and far fewer of them. They won't need so many to serve the, the elite themselves in this new type of society. This is the stuff of science fiction because they pick the guys who write the big science fiction books just to get you ready for it all coming. That's how you're prepared for things for the future. It's called predictive programming. It sounds familiar when it comes into existence. It, it's very familiar. You don't debate it. You think it's natural, and bingo, there you are. So help yourself to the audios, find out who the big foundations, organizations are that run the world. You're not living as a democracy, it's a form of fascism, and it's definitely a privately owned organization too. Most things are these days, including the general populations, were, were owned privately. Uh, so find out how it's done. And now you can support me and buy the books and discs you find at cuttingtrudemedics.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, if you want to order, you can use a personal check or international postal money order or PayPal, and some people to send cash. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And what I do on this broadcast is try to chronicle events as we go through them uh, before they happen, of course, and then show, show you when it does happen and give you the history of how it came to be, uh, the stuff that was not, never mentioned in mainstream news generally, but put up by books by those in the big think tanks who love to publish how, how much of a genius they actually are by telling us all about themselves and the parts that they played in bringing in this new world order, as they like to call it. It's always new. There's been lots of new world orders. There are really stages uh, of uh, the, the one group's uh, big plan, you might say, the big idea, they call it in other, other terms as well. It's a big idea. Big ideas are to be grasped by those who belong to the top secret societies of very wealthy families and who create visions for the future. And they always pick people to lead the big idea in every generation. It goes back over a thousand years, actually, when you go into it. So we're going through people's big ideas. As I say, we're the omelets. We're getting smashed uh, before they make the omelet. Uh, we're the eggs. 
And the chaos you see around you in the world is just that that part that Rockefeller and Rothschild both said was just an unfortunate part for this this generation. We are the cannon fodder, they said, the cannon fodder for the change. So tough luck on us, eh? Just bad planning on our part to be here at this particular time. And there are no really, there's no real course of, of redress for anything you'll find in reality uh, when you want to complain about things or change things or even find out who's responsible for your area. Sometimes politicians, you never get to see the politicians. You, you, you get lots of letters back from their aides and so on. But there's no point in complaining because they don't listen to you. They just throw them in the rubbish bin and, uh, and carry on, you see, because we're being taught that we're post-democratic. We're now under authoritarian regimes. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and you know, if you're one of the elite, you don't frighten the public below you, you don't tell them the truth at any time, in fact, they call it the noble lie, never tell the peasants a, a truth because they can't handle it, uh, truths like we want to depopulate you and we're actually doing it, for instance, they don't tell them, they, they wouldn't understand the rationale behind it. Uh, things like that. Uh, and so we're, we're kept like little children at the bottom by the media that's owned by the Council on Foreign Relations. This is run by people who belong to the organization. They all do across the planet now. And every magazine you pick up to, same thing. So we're all getting the same propaganda on every particular topic. But they never tell you the truth. They treat you like children. They'll give you your trends and things to follow and fashions and, and odd things to do, like turning from male to female and whatever is a, is a thing of the day. But, but they never really tell you the truth of what's happening in the big, long plan of things. And they certainly do have a long plan of things. So uh, you'd understand that we are the last to know. I often refer to it being like a gopher in a hole. And the gopher pops his head up when he hears this thunderous noise and he looks backwards and there's a cavalry coming from horizon to horizon. And before he knows it, he's run over by them. And, and, and he looks to the, towards the other horizon and they're disappearing. And just then there's another bunch coming from the previous other horizon and, and, and it's on and on like that. So that. That's news to us. Truth, what really is going on, we actually catch on when we see disappearing over the horizon. It's already been done. Whatever's been implemented is implemented and it's become a way of life. That's how fast things are. Because these boys plan in 50 years, 100 year and 150 year time lines. That's how they work out the future. And they make it happen that way. I can remember reading about the Vietnam War, and towards the end of it, the CIA came out with a, a lot of the different uh, projects they had underway for the future. So we get stuck in the present. We think, whoa, they, they're so busy doing Vietnam right now, they, they can't have their, they have too much on their hands to plan anything else. No, no, no. They're, they're, they already had planned the wars and, and where they would be afterwards down the road. And that's how the Council on Foreign Relations works as well. That's how the United Nations works. That's how really big corporations work too. But guys like Richard Haas, who is the head at the moment of the Council on Foreign Relations, occasionally comes out with some truths, especially in their own publications. And they do tell you, for instance, and he did say this before, that when it came to Libya, they didn't go into Libya, for instance, to rescue people uh, or anything like that. He says that was just the front uh, they used for the general public. They went in there to plunder it, basically, and grab it and get the, the guy out and put their own system in. 
and can grab all the, all the oil wells, etc. That's so he tells the truth once in a while. The next week he might change his mind and go back to the previous propaganda for the public. But not only was Richard Haas, the former director of, of uh, or, or the president, the present president of the Council on Foreign Relations, he was a, a policy planner in the U.S. State Department for years as well. And that's what they do with them. They're in and out of government and then back into these privately owned organizations like the CFR uh, and the foundations that run the world. And uh, there's nothing we can do about it because it's beyond the vote. You know, it's way beyond the vote. We don't vote them in. But here they are, you know, directing the world's policy and your policy too. Remember what Carol Quigley said, you're now in a feudalistic system. This is the system they're bringing in where the CEOs of corporations are now the feudalistic overlords and not your politicians. Well, that's happened a long time ago. But one article that Haas put out was Reorienting America. And I think it was put out first maybe in Project Syndicate uh, quite a few months ago. And... Um, Oh, it was November, actually, in 2011, and it's been revamped again. Because, you see, just like the CIA uh, during the Vietnam era, uh, they haven't finished off the entire Middle East and, and different parts of, of North Africa yet. Uh, and they're already looking towards the Far East, you see, uh, because they've got big plans for that, too. But it's called Reorienting America. It says, some 40 years ago, when I entered Oxford University as a graduate student, I declared my interest in the Middle East. And that's not quite true, because when you go in to Oxford University as a picked graduate student, you see for the uh, CIA, MI6, whatever, and that's really what CFR also does. They run all that, too. You, you, you're actually guided into the proper line or lane that you will uh, be in for the rest of your days. Anyway, he says, I was told this is part of the world, uh, this part of the world came under the rubric of Oriental Studies, and that's that I'll be assigned to an appropriate professor. But when I arrived for my first meeting at the professor's office, his bookshelves were lined with volumes bearing Chinese characters. He was a specialist in what was, at least for me at the time, the wrong Orient. Something akin to this mistake has befallen American foreign policy. The U.S. has become preoccupied with the Middle East in certain ways, the wrong Orient, and has not paid adequate attention to East Asia and the Pacific, where much of the 21st century's history will be written. The good news is that this focus is shifting. Indeed, a quiet transformation is taking place in American foreign policy, one that is as significant as it is overdue. The U.S. has rediscovered Asia. And it says, rediscovered is an operative word here. Asia was one of the two principal theaters of World War II and again shared centrality with Europe during the Cold War. Indeed, the two greatest conflicts, the wars in Korea and Vietnam, were fought on the Asian mainland. But with the end of the Cold War and demise of the Soviet Union, Asia receded from American interest. In the first decade of the post-Cold War era, the U.S. trained much of its attention on Europe. American policymakers focused primarily on enlarging NATO to encompass many of the former Warsaw Pact countries and on contending with the post-Yugoslav wars. The second phase of the post-Cold War year began with the 9-11 terror attacks. What followed was a decade of U.S. focus on terrorism and the last large-scale commitment of American military forces to Iraq and Afghanistan. The two conflicts have claimed more than 6,000 American lives, cost more than $1 trillion, and consumed countless hours for two presidents and their senior staff. But now this phase of American policy is ending. Uh, President Barack Obama has announced that the U.S. armed forces will be out of Iraq by the end of 2011. In Afghanistan, U.S. force levels have peaked and are declining. The only question concerns the place of withdrawal and size and role of any residual U.S. military presence after 2014. 
And he goes on and on about the Middle East, etc. But what he's really saying is now they're going to shift, uh, they're finishing off all the countries there uh, to to do with uh, the Far East. But you just say here, Iran is moving ever closer to developing nuclear weapons. If it does, others may well follow suit. And it's a region now experiencing what could prove to be a historic domestic political upheaval. There's also the unique American tie to Israel, which is never explained. It's always mentioned, but never is a treaty or we don't know what it is. So anyway, it's all about uh, shifting U.S. troops and so on to different places, Australia, which they've already signed agreements to, uh, the Philippines, more to the Philippines, uh, South Korea, Thailand, just to deter China in case it gets too big for its boots, basically. So it looks like never-ending war is uh, the, the key here. I read an article a long time ago from a military magazine, and that's what they called it, Perpetual War. And uh, that seems to be what we're in right now. Remember, wars too change the, the domestic countries involved, uh, socially and culturally more so than just just uh, bombing the hell out of each other. And Carl Quigley said that too. They can get more done on a social scale in five years of war than 50 years of peace and propaganda. Look what's happened in America and across the world just since 9-11. We have no rights whatsoever. Everybody's scared stiff. And we're getting used to seeing guys with machine guns and flat jackets on the streets. And you're going to see an awful lot more of that because this is going to go on for the rest of your lives. I hope you realize that. If you let it. It's going to go on for the rest of your lives. And your children are already used to it. Some of them have grown up and are putting on uniforms now. Uh, and it broke out when they were about nine or ten. So they're used to it. And they think it's all quite normal. So never-ending, uh, more and more laws about terror, 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 until you'll probably have a, a daily inspection one day with these guys coming through your homes. And you'll accept that too because you adapt to everything that's given to you under this guise of saving you and keeping you safe. But this article by Haas ties in with other articles too. I shall mention later because Brzezinski is talking about them. Other guys are talking about it. The same, uh, the same moving towards Asia uh, is going to be a big, big thing. Um, there's one, another article here by, uh, by Jonathan Masters of the CFR who's talking about the Pentagon pivots to Asia. It's, this is no coincidence. All this comes out at the same time. This is for the insiders who read all that stuff. The, the guys actually involved and who work for the CFR and who are in uh, the, the intelligence agencies and, and military in the Pentagon. So the Pentagon's long-awaited strategic review marks a significant re-evaluation of national security priorities and sets the stage for a new age of restraint in U.S. military spending. That's how they started off. But then they go into the new strategy highlights the emergence of China as a regional power and emphasizes the need to shift the balance of U.S. forces towards the Asia-Pacific theater. This, this, this article after article, if you really search around, coming out at the same time, it's no coincidence at all. As his chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Martin Dempsey, outlined the strategic importance of the Asia-Pacific region and said that the demographic, geopolitical and economic and military trends are shifting towards the Pacific. The military's announcement follows a major diplomatic push by the Obama administration to expand security partnerships with allies in the region. Well, that's what he was over in Australia doing elsewhere. China has unsettled its neighbors over the past several years with expansion of its navy and improvements in missile and surveillance capabilities. 
but it remains to be seen how the Pentagon's broad new vision will be articulated in the specifics of its February budget, etc. The thing is, you see, the same guys who own America already own China, so don't be too upset about it. Uh, wars have other reasons, too. Uh, remember, too, in George Orwell's 1984, it was perpetual war as well. You're always fighting somebody. It keeps all the public in line, like little little mice, little scared, timid mice. And the casualties don't matter. Every every year there's a whole bunch of 18-year-olds ready to fill in the uniforms and go off again. So we're self-renewing, aren't we? We're a renewable resource, you might say. Now, as all this is happening, too, and you're getting used to that, they're now going to fly drones over uh, different... Uh, cities in the U.S. It says, chances of central New York drone flights improve as new law allows six national test sites. Uh, I call it the Grim Reaper. They call it the Reaper, this drone. It says, um, the Reaper uh, is going to be flown over New York and various other places. 66 feet wide it is. Big white, big, big span. You'll see this look in your window shortly. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the Matrix, reading an article about the, the drones that are going to fly all over the US, basically. And these aren't just drones, they're these little, little things about four feet wide. These things have, these one have, ones have wingspans of 66 feet, and they can carry payloads of 3,000 pounds. These are battlefield drones. It says, the Air National Guard's 174th fighter wing is a step closer to gaining federal permission to fly unmanned Reaper drones out of its base at Hancock Field, according to U.S. Senator Charles Schumer. The National Defense Authorization Act, signed into law last week by President Barack Obama, allows for the establishment of six national test sites where drones could fly through civil airspace. And it says, Schumer uh, said Tuesday... He pushed for the establishment of six spots instead of the plan four to improve the chances that Hancock Field would be included. The 174th Fighter Wing has been trying for almost five years to convince the Federal Aviation Administration to allow flights of the MQ-9 Reaper drones out of Hancock Fields. The FAA bans such unmanned flights because of concerns about the remotely piloted drones flying through civil airspace used by commercial aircraft at Syracuse Hancock International Airport. Schumer said he sent a letter Tuesday to the FAA Acting Commissioner Michael uh, uh, Huerta asking for Hancock to be one of the national test sites. So Hancock Field, which will eventually host a full squadron of Reaper drones, has the largest potential training space in the northeast. Most of the drones assigned to the 174th Fighter Wing are now remotely operated in Afghanistan and Iraq by pilots at the Matydale base. These little fat fellows that, that grew up with a computer and play games all the time, they hire them straight in, actually. So anyway, they'll be flying over your airspace soon, and uh, uh, they'll be used down the road when the time is right, I've no doubts. Now, this is an interesting article, too, because I've always said that inoculations from the most earliest times have had an, an alternative uh, purpose, and part of it is to, number one, sterilize you, uh, make destroy your immune system. Everyone's got a, a, a weakened immune system, very weakened, in fact, so much so that doctors who are in training right now are taught that when they're in medical school, that everyone's got a compromised immune system. It's just one of these things. It just happened one day, you know, it's a nice sunny day, and boom, that's what all happened, just like that. 
and they don't ask questions like anybody else, and uh, and that's how they go through their lives, teaching that and believing in that themselves. So we find that it really dumps us down, uh, as I say, makes us very prone to disease, kills people, a lot of people off too, brings down the population. And um, the fact this is an old study, but it's brand new again, you see. So it's, it's a PR study in a sense, probably for a grant or something else, but that's not the, the aim of the study. So the study finds that children with autism and gastrointestinal symptoms have altered expression of genes involved in digestion. Well, I've mentioned before they've actually found the different viruses from from the, the inoculations in the brain of people with autism. I read one last week, in fact. But not only that, these viruses, which are synthetic too, remember, they're made in the lab. Uh, are also found in their gastrointestinal tract as well. So it, it, it hits both of them. But the reason I picked this article, because as I say we've known this stuff for years, is when you scroll down to the bottom of it, uh, you find out who, who sponsored this. And it was supported by the National Institutes of Health, Google.org, and the Department of Defense. Now, what was the Department of Defense so interested in autism for? except for the fact that uh, some of their, their actual biotech bases no doubt helped to create the diseases in the first place that uh, work with the vaccine companies. Just a thought, folks, you know. Now, a training exercise startles locals. What well, to get awfully used to this very quickly, too. It says it may have looked like they were ready for war or some deranged person looking for his late Social Security benefits. But it was only Federal Protective Services, it was only this, only Federal Protective Services officers with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security who were conducting a random training operation early Tuesday morning when they surprisingly showed up at the Social Security Administration office in downtown Leesburg. With their blue and white SUVs circled around the Main Street office, at least one official was posted on the door with a semi-automatic rifle, randomly checking identifications. And another officer, some with canines, sifted through the building. I thought someone was upset about not getting his check, said Laura Kelly, who took her friend to the office on Tuesday. Uh, according to one Homeland official in the Washington, D.C. office, Operation Shield is an effort that uses routine unannounced visits by FPS inspectors to test the effectiveness of contract guards or protective security officers, detecting the presence of unauthorized persons and potentially disruptive or dangerous activities. Now, I've mentioned before, whenever you start up any government-funded agency, they want to expand like cancers. Doesn't matter what you set them up to do in the first place, they feel safer in numbers. They feel they can't just be written off or disbanded one day. The more of them there are, and the more duties they can create for themselves, the safer they feel. That's just the way the bureaucracy works. So here they are going into checking social security offices and doing raids on them. And luckily nobody gets shot so far. It'll happen one day. And, uh, uh, so, so they're just adding more and more things to say, see, you really need us. We, 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 we check these uh, social security offices and random searches with machine guns and things. Uh, and, and of course we adapt to it. We adapt, we adapt, we adapt. We adapt always, don't we? Now Obama launches a Bureau of Counterterrorism. Like we haven't had it before, but this is going steps uh, further all the time. President Obama's State Department announced during a uh, press briefing today the creation of the Bureau of Counterterrorism, which will coordinate with United States entities such as the Department of Homeland Security and foreign governments to develop civilian counterterrorism strategies and operations. 
Now, the mission of the new bureau will be to lead the State Department in the U.S. government's effort to counter terrorism abroad and to secure the United States against foreign terrorist threats. Ambassador Dan Benjamin told reporters the Bureau will lead in supporting U.S. counterterrorism diplomacy and seek to strengthen homeland security, countering violent extremism, that's a home, of course, and build the capacity of partner nations to deal effectively with terrorism. In other words, it's a complete, they're sewing up basically the whole, all the other allied nations together in complete sharing on data on every, every civilian, folks. That's really what it's about. Every civilian. Since the Bureau has previously operated on a smaller scale as an office under Benjamin. The upgrade comes as Obama has enjoyed foreign policy success due to the killing of Osama bin Laden. You think he did it himself, eh? Back with in a moment after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back. Cutting through the Matrix History in this article about counterterrorism and the, the new bureau that's up and running. It's probably been up and running for a while actually. But it, uh, it says the Bureau will focus on foreign terrorists, but their activities have some bearing on domestic security. It collaborates with the Department of Homeland Security to work jointly to stop terrorist travel, to improve aviation security, for instance, but will focus more on the bilateral kind of diplomacy that we do with others on a number of different issues, where it has to do with how we reduce the space that terrorist groups have to fundraise or to operate. Remember, the word terrorism can be expanded to, to, to anybody who, who just complains about government policy. It will be anti-government, not be that terrorism, basically. And I'm not kidding about that. That's what it's all supposed to. That's where it's supposed to go. All this stuff. Now, this is an article too about what some of the stuff that we eat. Uh, some of this, uh, they still call it food for some reason, but uh, it says Cinemix is a biotech company that produces artificial flavors. See, we all need artificial flavors today because everything you eat has no taste at all. It's all GMO and everything else. It enhances the way our food tastes. They're so clever, their website states that they focus on discovery and development of savory, sweet, and salt flavor ingredients. Last year, another discovery was made that Cinemix uses in its research HEK-293. HEK-293 are the human embryonic kidney cells taken from electively aborted babies to produce those receptors for food enhancement. So now you can know where your, your food enhancement is coming from. If anyone actually cares out there, I think we're so 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 down into the sewer that most folk don't actually uh, think about it much at all. This is when Children of God for Life's Debbie Vinage pointed out in a letter to Cinemix CEO Kent Snyder last year. This company was using uh, HEK-293, and they were human, uh, humane alternatives. He ignored it. Children of God for Life then decided to call for a boycott of companies that knowingly uses Cinemix flavor enhancers in their food products. Uh, and it says COG first wrote to Nestle and asked them to stop using Cinemix flavor enhancer. The company finally responded and admitted the truth about their relationship with Cinemix, noting only that the cell line was well established in scientific research. That makes it okay, eh? But was it moral? Was it humane? Well, look at everything else in this world. Moral and humane keeps changing all the time. 
as, uh, as per the agenda. Yesterday I mentioned about how, and I've gone, I've gone over the years, I've mentioned actually how the communist um, uh, technique was to try and really uh, tear apart the generations of people from the, the grandparents, the parents, and even the children. And then the state would, would give the children all their new morals, you see, the new morality. They would not be contaminated by the old ideas of previous generations that kept everything working and stable. And... Um, and they used to say at one time, don't, don't trust anybody over, over 40. Then they dropped it, don't trust anybody over 30. That's a chant that were taught at universities and, and places like that and on the communist side within the US, Canada and elsewhere. And then of course we, we go into every movie, as I say, that you see today, where someone around 60 is obviously senile. They have to be and they, they kind of dribble at the mouth and all that and they don't know where they're going. And that's, again, the impressions. We're, we're controlled by impressions that come through mainly fiction, through Hollywood and television and such like, in comedies even. Uh, and that really does have a great impact on the way we think and see and, and see other people around us. But to do with eugenics, of course, they really want to bring the population down and keep the fittest alive until you're a bit too old too, and they'll bump you off. Nice, cheap way to do it. You won't get a pension. And the government can always use your cash for wars and things like that. So it says, um, here's an article here that came out today. There's been two or three of them in different countries. One was from Australia. And I can't get Australian newspapers up. They, they want cookies. And even when you enable them, like, you still can't get them up. Anyway, it could be just me that barred my computer for access. I don't know. The brain's ability to function can start to deteriorate as early as 45 now. Oh, my goodness, it's coming down. He suggests a study in the British Medical Journey. A University College London researchers found a 3.6 decline in mental reasoning in women and men aged 45 to 49. They assessed the memory, vocabulary and comprehension skills of 7,000 men and women aged 45 to 70 over a 10-year period. The Alzheimer's Society said research was needed into how changes in the brain could help dementia. Do you want to help dementia? I don't want to get eliminated dementia. Previous research has suggested that cognitive decline does not begin much before the age of 60. So anyway, there's one from France, one from Britain, one from Australia, all on the same day. You see, he's all put their hands out for grants and stuff to, to find out ways to making us all see it much more quicker, maybe by uh, giving us better food enhancers and things like that. Maybe more injections will, will do the job. I don't know. We'll wait and see. But for those who get depressed with this news, and always remember, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. In other words, if you want to get reality, it's not going to come all, all packaged just for you. Nice, nice and safe, you know. Reality is very harsh and brutal, and you've got to understand that right off the bat. If you can't handle it, get one of these things. Brain pacemaker to treat depression. Now, we knew this was coming because they published articles about it about 10 years ago. When they published something, they've actually done it 10 years ago. This article is out this month, and it says that deep brain stimulation is a surgical procedure where a patient is implanted with a medical device called a brain pacemaker. What the device does is send electrical impulses to specific parts of the brain. The treatment-resistant movements and affective disorders associated with brains such as chronic pain, Parkinson's disease, tremor and dystonia and thinking. I should have added the last one there because you see it will help you to reduce your thinking problems. Patients affected have benefit from this procedure providing positive therapeutic results. Now, for everything they do in invasive surgery, or even in, in, in drugs for that matter, there's adverse reactions. You already understand that. There always glowing reports out, and then they'll tell you later down the road, by the way, it can cause cancers and stuff, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. But they always come out at first, but it's a glowing thing, you see, because if you see science is a new god, it's all nice and shiny. 
A new study shows that the DBS can also be used for depression in patients. This procedure can be used with either unipolar major depressive disorders or bipolar disorder. Bipolar spectrum disorder, sometimes referred to as manic depression, and we know all about that. Oprah's had it one a thousand times and stuff like that. Everybody knows what that means. That's why they changed the name from manic depression to bipolar. They don't like the public using their terms. The pacemaker sends a high-frequency electrical stimulation to a predefined area of the brain specific to the particular neuropsychiatric disorder. Like They know where it all happens, right, they claim. It was found that a regular feed from the brain pacemaker alleviates the depression in the patient. Now, this is, an, this is old, 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 old stuff because they were doing this in the 60s. In fact, if you go back to the old talk that um, I think it was... Um, Aldous Huxley talk, talked about in the 1960s at Berkeley. Uh, he, he actually got animated. It was very hard to get him animated. But he got excited talking about Tavistock, the hospital in Britain, uh, that actually is on the cutting edge. It's always been the cutting edge for controlling whole populations through propaganda and techniques, but also using live patients. It used to be a mental hospital. And he got all excited when he talked about putting wires in their brains. Uh, and, and make them do all kinds of things. He thought it was oh, wonderful, just like Delgado was doing in the U.S. with bulls and humans as well, by the way. Yep. So here they have one, they can, I guess it's more of a remote one, so they don't need the wires, so they're awfully excited about it. So the two-year study was led by Helen S. Mayberg, professor in the Departments of Psychiatry, Behavioral Sciences, and Neurology at Emory University School of Medicine. Although the procedure is invasive and most patients would feel a bit hesitant with the procedure, the study showed that when the brain is given constant stimulation, a significant decrease in the patient's episode of depression and an increase in function. The remission and response rates were 18% and 41% after 24 weeks, 36% and 36% after one year, and then then love all these other percentages too, which is generally just made up on the spot. But anyway, getting back to the stuff they were doing in the 60s and 70s, they had some people who did nothing but masturbate in corners with these wires in their head. That's all they did. They felt great. (laughs) They had no depression at all, but they literally couldn't stop masturbating. And uh, that all these other problems as well. But here they've, they've come out with the wireless version, and the same things will happen, of course. But they won't. Uh, they, 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 they're always pushing something and got their hands out for grants. They never tell you about all the negative side effects. Ah, oh dear, eh? what a world! Now I was going to read this article too with China rejecting the U.S.-led sanctions on Iran, but I won't bother because China has to say this because they're part of the whole deal too. So they've all given their lines to say, you see. What they did do, though, is China ignores the EU carbon tax. And they're too big, you see, to argue with. So this is stuff you were not. And they blew that off. So it says here, China's biggest airlines will not pay a new European Union tax aimed at cutting carbon emissions. Their trade body has said. Uh, on January the 1st, the EU brought airlines under its emissions trading scheme, which levies a f- charge on flights based on their carbon emissions. And Chai Haibo of, of the China Air Transport Association said that its members would not cooperate with the ETS. However, the EU said it would not back down on the issue. Well, we'll see if Rompuy or the other fella will back down first. I don't think it will be China and good for them too. Now, the National Park Service has a new land-grabbing tool. They're always grabbing land, you see, because under Agenda 21 from the United Nations, also called the Millennium Project, uh, it's about to be given a, an, expand, an expanded version with the next air summit in Rio uh, coming this year, in fact. Um, they're really changing the world. Remember, eventually there's going to be the elimination of private property for ordinary people. 
and I, I stress for ordinary people, they'll have the special pla- the exemptions for, for the, the right kind of people, very wealthy and very important to society, you see. But it says, Big Green has an unlikely new sales pitch to convince Congress to fund every expanding land grabs by the National Park Service, save wildlife migration. A map overlay showing all the U.S. wildlife migration paths, these are called corridors for the nations, would blot out nearly half the nation. A very clever diagram for empire-building bureaucrats. The obscure but well-heeled Wildlife Conservation Society, uh, 2010 assets, $764 million. Uh, nice charity, isn't it? Unveiled the idea last week in spectacular migrations in the western U.S. A 45-page report on the purportedly urgent need for a widespread network of wildlife migration corridors to avert countless extinctions. It's actually to... to uh, to squeeze all the peoples into corridors, ever tighter corridors and smaller corridors as they expand the, the, the wildlife habitats. That's the real reason for it. The WCS is a consortium of zoos, urban wildlife parks and global conservation programs that uses science, according to its mission statement, to change attitudes towards nature. Uh, its spectacular migrations report looks suspiciously like the expansion agenda of Interior Secretary Ken Salazar, the NPS's boss. Uh, there's a good reason WCS staff recently conducted a migration workshop for the NPS, which produced a new framework for conservation uh, migrations in or near national parks. Then it's got all the other foundations that are in on it too. The, the Hewlett Foundation has already funded demonstration corridors using the NPS's framework in the U.S. Southwest and Mexico. So if you want to understand this, for those who still have the, the ability to think past one sentence without forgetting where they're going, under the age of 45, that is, then you, you should really go into Agenda 21 from the United Nations, uh, download it, and go into the Millennial Millennium Project as well, download that too, and stay up for a couple of nights and read them, because it's all to affect you. They're going into effect. They have been going into effect. And eventually, if you go, all go down this post-industrial society, will be squeezed ever tighter into these the old uh, falling apart cities as we die off, you see. And, of course, that's all part of the big agenda as well. Now, this article is quite good, and I'll probably get shot for, for using press TV because it's been banned in some countries now, apparently. But uh, it says 2012 royal honours granted to criminals. I thought it was quite hilarious, so I thought I'd read it anyway. And it says the British society would begin 2012 with fraudsters, family members of convicted murderers, and scandalous political donors walking the streets with royal honours. Well, that shouldn't surprise anybody who's read their history because under Queen Elizabeth I, you see, uh, it was all pirates. They're all pirates around her, uh, Walter Raleigh and, and Francis Drake and these guys. They plundered the, the Spanish main and stole all the gold and stuff like that and brought it home and gave the, the Queen a good share and she was quite chuffed with it. So you, you understand that's how they started off and they all wore, uh, flew the, the, the Jolly Roger, the skull and bones, you see. Anyway, Queen Elizabeth II's list of honours for the 2012 New Year's featured several people widely known amongst people for their misdemeanour. Uh, Paul Ruddock was knighted for his services to the arts as a medieval art expert, but eyes were turned away from his questionable earnings of more than £100 million from the collapse of the Northern Rock Bank through short selling. <laughs> he was, well, that's just a qualification to get the honour, you see, a good pirate. He was joined with Gerald Ronson, the multimillionaire who was given one year in prison over a sheer trading scandal back in 1990. 
Uh, Ronson was charged with creating a false market, false accounting and thievery and had to pay £5 million in fines, but nevertheless the Queen decorated him with the title of the Commander of the Order of the Most Excellent British Empire. The same title was granted to Denise Coates, who had done nothing to to the British uh, society except raking in enough money to rank the eighth woman uh, in the Sunday Times rich list. Uh, Denise, who is the daughter of Peter Coates, owner of Stoke City Football Club, has made a fortune by running an online gambling company. The Queen also honoured Christopher Preddy, a cousin of the two brothers who were convicted of murdering schoolboy Damalola Taylor in 2000. Preddy, who has a record of involvement in the gangs and drugs trafficking, is now an officer of the most excellent order of the British Empire. Well, they're well qualified for it. The scandalous decoration does not end at that, as, most one, uh, as almost one-third of all honours went to bankers and businessmen this year, while such decorations were rare in the past. One was Rod Aldridge, who was knighted after he was forced to resign in 2006 over a secret £1 million contribution to the Labour Party. He got the peerage while he'd spent the fortune at the time in a cash-for-peerage attempt. I can remember, too, they were given him away. You made a serve for, I think, £45,000 at the time uh, to the Labour Party when, when Blair was in. That's how uh, quite a few musicians, well-known ones, actually got it. £45,000 and suddenly you're a sir. Eh? Just like that. But uh, that's the reality of life, eh? you you, you you got to have the psychopaths at the top. They all know each other, and they, they kind of envy, you know, a good each other. One good psychopaths envy envy a really clever psychopath, and why not give them the awards? Since they started off with pirates anyway. Now, sustainability affects everyone across the planet because we are under a feudal system, as I say, it's a feudal system worldwide, as quickly said back in the sixties. Uh, he knew he was a historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, and that's how they'd planned the world. But this is about Glasgow Council leaders. It says, Glasgow Council leader lays out how the IBM, now IBM is one of the biggest companies, corporations, in this new feudal system that runs the world. They're doing the international smart grid for, for, for your power across the whole planet, all of that kind of stuff, and sustainable development. But who voted them into being a partner in your city council, deciding how much fuel you'll use, use this, this winter? I'll read about this when I come back from this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. And rather read this article, I'll put the links up tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com to show you how IBM's across the whole planet now as part of your government, basically. And it's called initiatives now. It's just initiatives, you know. Not, not really a... You don't vote them in. It's just that they had an initiative and, and they just put themselves in, in place with your governments. And you're just saying how much you're going to use for, to heat yourself and much electricity you'll use and all that kind of stuff. It's all part, again, of Agenda 21, if you didn't know. Now, I'll go to the callers, and there's Alex from New York hanging on there. Are you there, Alex? Uh, hey, Alan. Yes. Um, hey, I just read the, uh, the books I got from you, and I have a few questions. Um, first one is about the Lincoln and Kennedy thing, mm-hmm. how, how there's all these similarities. Yeah. It confused me a bit. Because, especially the similarities in how they died and the dates and everything, wouldn't it mean that before Kennedy was even president, they had planned to kill him? 
And I was under the impression that first they, he was president, and then he later veered off from his orders by printing the the uh, Lincoln greenbacks and and uh, we'll never really know some other stuff. Yeah. We'll never really know the whole story. What he did do is he gave a speech about, he said, this country cannot, to the press club, by the way, I've got it in my archive section, where you can hear him saying, giving the speech. But he says, we can't be run by a secret society. And that's what his main talk, main, main talk was. That's the last main speech he ever gave. Uh, but he was talking about this, a secret society. And I think he was referring to the, the CFR itself and Trilateral Commission running the U.S., uh, that that really was the clangor. Now, where they knew he'd go that way many, many years before, who knows? There's something to it, though. You can't get these weird coincidences, you understand. Um, mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen in real life uh, unless there's other forces at work here and, and what kind of forces that they are uh, are up for speculation, but they're certainly very cunning. Yeah. It's amazing how far ahead they, mm-hmm. they like, planned yeah. Just like getting the numbers together for their, like, number magic or whatever. Yes. Like, just how precisely they can do it is, I, I can barely believe it, especially with the yeah. Lincoln similarities. Yes. But you know, they actually, I mean, they actually give birth to children occasionally uh, with a, a definite future all planned out for them. And even Robespierre talked about, uh, he said, I wouldn't be surprised if, if a, a champion came out of Corsica where Napoleon was born. Uh, he said that, you know, when, I guess when Napoleon was being born or even before it. But uh, they, they, they train these guys for, for their roles all through life. Uh, they're born into a position with special education and, and, and teaching just for that particular role, for some special people, not for them all. For, for some special ones, I've no doubt on that at all. Yeah. And in fact, so even when you read the role of Armand Hammer, Armand Hammer himself was sent off uh, at the age of five, this is in the, the official biography, uh, to, to learn communism from a rabbi who was head of the Communist Party USA at the time. At the age of five, he was sent off to learn his role in communism for the rest of his life. And he ends up getting apartments next to Lenin and then, then Stalin. And, and stuff like that. So, I mean, they're picked very, very young for the roles by some society and picked very young for the roles which they will fulfill within their life. And it'll be life-changing roles for, for sometimes the entire planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, the uh, another thing that... Oh, all right, I guess I'll call again another time. Yeah, call and also email too. Sometimes it's quicker that way. But thanks for calling. And... Uh, this hour just flies in as always. It's too too soon, isn't it? From Hamish Masella from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me. Your God, your God's with you. Remember, help me out too by uh, buying the books and discs and donating. Thank you.